I'm the one that sent you the letter, and I like to follow up on it best I can. First of all, I want to give my deepest sympathy and light to your family because this is a terrible tragedy and it should never have happened. And my only purpose in this is to help you out and bring her back and make sure that he gets what's coming to him. And I'm praying to God that he gets it. And this has gone way too long and if he gets away with this, a perfect crime and it should not be a perfect crime but we know what's happened and I'm going to tell you the story and where the law Thank you for tuning in to Find Me Kim and whether you're watching this on the documentary or you're listening to this on the podcast, I appreciate you joining me on this journey. That voice you just heard is of Randy. If you haven't watched um, any previous episodes, I suggest you stop right here and go back to episode one or this will make zero sense to you. Um, Just a refresher, Randy um, put these tapes in the field across the road from his house where Kim was supposed to have gone missing. Um, he then called the Amero family from a payphone and told them this is where you can find the tapes and you'll find where your daughter and sibling um, are buried on this tape. And then he stood at his window with binoculars and watched them look for them. The Ameros did the right thing and called the police. Police kind of looked around, didn't find them, said, hey, call us if you find anything. They did find the tapes. Um, they then turned them over to the police. A couple months go by, nothing's happening. Ed calls the police and they say, hey, listen, do us a favor, listen to the tapes, find where he says she's buried, call us with that timestamp." Now, I'm certain, thanks to you and the community and the the fuss we've been able to kick up, I'm certain that they have listened to the tapes in full by now. And finally, um, after a very long time, um, we have them here with us. I am going to play you some snippets. However, the audio quality is quite poor. I mean, it was a gentleman who did not have um, a recording studio. And it was a gentleman who had, you know, not a lot of recording experience. um, And it was a long time ago. So it is quite poor, but I am going to play you some snippets. And I'm also going to walk you through some snippets that I really want you to hear concisely. I'll read them to you. To you. Three things I noticed uh, listening to these tapes. One, he refers to the perpetrator always as he, never as, you know, referring to himself. It's always as he's going to get away with it. And as you heard in the introduction, he says he's going to get away with the perfect crime. I stopped there and wondered if he was bragging. Um, but as you listen to the tapes, you'll see that I, I don't find that to be the case. Um, the second thing is he will not refer to Kim by name. He only uses pronouns, she and her. Um, and he won't get into any detail about what happened to Kim or what she had to endure before her death. Um, those two those two things, the not mentioning her name and not explaining what happened to her, indicate guilt where it's too hard to say it out loud. It's too hard to humanize Kim by using her name. It hurts too much. Now, I don't know if that guilt is because he did nothing that day. I don't know if the guilt is because he was there when she... Um, was killed, or I don't know if it's out of guilt because he did it himself. I don't know. I just know that those two things definitely indicate some sort of guilt factor. One thing he does in this tape, um, just to prove that he's lying, um, is he overexplains himself. Um, so instead of saying oh, it was a really hot day, you would say, you know, it's, it was a hot day. I take my shirt off. I had to dip my feet in the pool. I was sweating. I had to put on deodorant twice, all in the same sentence, all in the same run-on, because you're trying to create an image in your head of what was happening that day, and you're trying to lie on the spot. So you're you're talking to stall and buy some time and to overexplain. Um, the day and the temperature of the day 
to convince yourself that it's true, to create an image of what happened in your head. So it's like you're creating a memory and it's a lie. And he does that a lot during this tape. The first thing that I want to read to you is where he says she was kept. Now he's speaking about Robinson Road here. I am going to put up a map to show you which Robinson Road we are talking about. And the X on the map is the property that we visited. Um, the one that the police and us and nobody's allowed on anymore. And, and the people that put a stop to the digging right away and would not allow any further digging and any further searching for Kim. Um, the, the X on the map is that property. Um, we're guessing that's where the homestead Randy's referring to when he says this. Go to the homestead across the bridge, up to the top of the first big hill, about a 100 yards. Now, I think at this point he's talking about on the property. On the right at the top of the hill, there used to be a field. And at the back of the field, in a bush a little ways, you get up to a small ridge. This is where my tree stand was for hunting. And that's where Randy claims to have been the day that Kim Amaro died in this tree stand. Now, we went up there and we found that small ridge. I didn't know at the time to look for a tree stand, but we did find that small ridge on that property the one time that we were able to um, get up there and get on it before the owners put up the signs and the trail cams. He goes on to over-explain here about the sound. He says he couldn't see anything, but he could only hear he over-explains, like I said, creating an image in his head of saying he could hear a car on the road. The sound traveled well. He could hear everything. So he over-explains how much he could hear, which again is indicating a lie that he's making up on the spot. I'm going to um, play you a little clip here about um, the morning that he says Kim Amaro died. Well, this morning about 11 o'clock in the morning, I heard a noise like a camp door being slammed very hard. And shortly after, I heard the most horrible scream I've ever heard in my life. And it really was a short scream, terrifying scream. And the person was stopped partway through the scream. They never finished screaming. Somebody silenced them. And I started getting pictures of this in my head. It really bothered me tremendously because I knew something terrible had just happened. Anyway, I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't see nothing. I couldn't hear anything. I stayed for quite a while. And I have a few things to say about this, and I'm sure it's exactly what you're thinking. First of all, you hear somebody scream in the woods on a property that you know really well, and you don't go to the scream if the sound travels so well and you know exactly where it's coming from you don't get up and go look he later claims in the tape how heavily armed he was and how he would you know would have been able to tackle anything at the time so why didn't you i mean it could have been a woman stepping on a snake could have been someone being chased by a mountain lion it could have been a, a whole plethora of things and you you say you looked around well how hard did you look around because if that's where she was it wouldn't have been really hard to find her um but i find it odd here that he admits that he didn't really do anything about it at this point where he, you know, had a look around, didn't hear anything else. So he left, you know, and basically went on his day. He then later recants that and says how much the scream bothered him. And then at a later date, he says, well, the scream could have been anything really. Could have been an animal, could have been, you know, a woman stepping on a snake, that kind of idea. And then he goes back and says how, how hard um, it was to get the scream out of his head. And it, and it hurt him deeply and it. And he, you know, obsessed about it. And it's all he could think about. And these images were coming in the, his head about the scream. Okay, Randy, if your story was even the most littlest bit true, and you're a human being, 
you hear somebody scream, you're going to go figure out what it was. So I think this whole tree stand story and this whole tree stand bit of, of you know, it was 11 o'clock in the morning and he just, you know, heard a scream and did nothing about it. I think it's got to be BS. I really do. Now, unless it's not BS and this is why he gave the tapes and he feels so guilty because he did nothing, I don't know. But the rest of the tape he wouldn't know just by being a guilty party who heard a scream and left. So I got to say this tree stand thing, I'm calling BS on it 110%. 110%. He goes on to over-explain his attendance that day. He said, what I didn't know is that she was in the homestead being held as a prisoner and she'd been up there for five weeks. That's why it was early hunting season when she screamed. That's why I was up there at the time. And he goes on to over-explain why he was there. Um, He's answering an invisible question here. Like, why were you there at that time? He over-explains it. It's an invisible question that he answers. Again, all indicating a lie. I want to play you a clip right here about uh, Randy talking about the first month that she supposedly was up there. You're going to get... you're going you're gonna to hear the three things that bother me about this tape. One, he's using the word he. Two, he won't use Kim's name. And three, he won't describe what happened to her. Here's the clip. For that whole first month that she was abducted, she was alive. He had held a prisoner, and I hate to tell you, but he wasn't doing nice things with her. He kept her in a homemade uh, cage and two brass single beds that were fastened together into some kind of a cage. At a later date, I seen it in the wreckage of that cellar after the house had been burnt down. It was there in the corner. Very distinct that I, I knew, before I knew all the details of the story, that it, it looked to me like some kind of a cage, but it had been beat up so that it was trying to hide what it was, and it struck me as very strange. Here's where it gets weird. You hear a scream in the woods, you do nothing about it, and you leave. Would you start asking around if there's any missing girls? No. You would think it's domestic, you would think it was a woman stepping on a snake or someone being chased like an, by an animal, or you would think it was an animal, but you wouldn't go directly to hunting for a missing girl. And that's what Randy does. He says this, the scream bothers him for days and days and days. So he started asking around. Um, if someone had gone missing. To quote him, he says, I even asked a guy who lived up that way if he had heard of anybody going missing and no one had. He says, I kept asking around and I heard about Kim going missing and I had a feeling that the girl at the homestead was Kim. Come on. How could you do the math? What are the six degrees of separation that a woman goes missing from the exhibition grounds in St. John to you thinking that was her that screamed that day up and up them? Sometimes the truth is so much more stranger than fiction that it has to be true, but that's just, come on, you wouldn't draw that line. You wouldn't go, hey, I heard a scream, like a little short scream the other day way up in the boonies. I bet you it's that missing girl. You wouldn't think that, and if you did think that, you would call the police immediately and go, hey, I heard a scream in the woods, and you got a girl missing. I'll show you where I heard the scream. You should go look at it. This is craziness, and for for Randy to think that anyone's going to believe this just shows the lack of intelligence that Randy really has, honestly. He says, at this point, he started getting stuff in his head and kept going back to the scream, claiming, I'd see these images in my head. He then claims to have heard that she was last seen getting into a car with two or three people. Why is he the only one with this fact? The Ameros have never told me this. I have never found this in, a, in an archive. The police have never told me this. And all of a sudden, Randy's heard this around that she was last seen getting into a car with two or three people. Weird. That's why even put that fact in there, unless you know it to be true. 
Later, he says, I seen a poster up and started to censor more and more. I stopped hunting there because I was having no luck. This is a lie confirmed by Randy's daughter. He didn't stop hunting there for years and years after. He claims he then started hunting with a family member, and he begins to overexplain the location. Now, this part of the story is not necessary, which I found really strange. He overexplains the location of where he was hunting with this family member for no reason. It goes nowhere. It, it has no purpose to the entire story. I don't quite understand why he put that in there. Um, or maybe it's just to show that he hasn't been up there since. So, you know, don't come knocking at my door. I don't, I, I don't know. He then says this. Late one night, I tried calling her name a few times. And within seconds, I felt a presence trying to possess me. I'll let you hear the rest. I had never tried to communicate with a, a spirit, even though I know that I'm kind of psychic or paranormal, clairvoyant, whatever you want to call it. So, late one night in my room, I had the room very dark. I was alone. I tried calling out her name, and I did this a few times, and within seconds, I had a presence in my room. I couldn't see it. I could feel it. It was a very, very strange feeling. I knew it was there. It tried to, like, go inside and possess me. And, but I still didn't know if it was her. It scared me and freaked me out a bit because it was pretty spooky. So I took that as being <coughs> fear myself so the next night I tried it the second time well the second time I got the same response so I knew I was calling a spirit there was no doubt in my mind at this point I really want you to hear this part about how he brings his grandson into the story because he fumbles on his words, backtracks on his words, backpedals, and he, and he just verbally vomits out this BS story about how he came to tell a bedtime story to his grandson that later he, he says was a seance. I want you to hear this, this uh, part, and then I'm going to let you hear the interview. This is going to take a few minutes, so get comfy, grab a coffee, grab a tea. I'm going to let you hear the interview, and by interview, I mean Randy questioning his grandson who has been possessed by Kim Amaro. Here you go. Uh, about a week later, I had a young relative over. Well, young, young people, children, teens, so on, are more sensitive to this sort of thing. Well, in a story that I was trying to tell him because he was bugging me to tell him a story, so I said, well, uh, do you want a scary story or whatever? So anyway playing with this I said well I'll tell you one about somebody that nobody knows where they went they're, they're lost you know like missing well I didn't tell him who she was I, or nothing I, or anything about it that I you know knew well he held my hand and I said well and I did say her name but I didn't I wasn't going to tell him she had been killed or anything like that. I was just going to make a story up as a goal by just using her name to start the story. Well, the next thing I know, he says, I see her. And I said, what do you mean you see her? I see her. I see the girl. And this is 
when I tried to break this up because I hadn't intentionally made planned to make any contact. This just was totally a shock to me. Well, anyway, he wanted to continue on with this story. He wasn't afraid of this girl. So, uh, I will tell you roughly some of the conversation that he had with me, and he's very young, about this. Now, this is coming from a, a young boy that knew nothing about this. Nothing. He's never been to Upham. He doesn't know the area. He don't know the people. Nothing. He never knew she had been killed or anything. So my... He wanted me to continue, so I said, Are you Kimberly Ann Amaro? And he answered without hesitation, Yes. Are you the one that's in my head? Yes. Now he's answering me very quickly, no hesitation. Uh, I said, <coughs> Did you run away? Yes. How many times? He told me. Okay, I gotta stop it right here. Okay. You're having a seance with your grandson. It's hard to put yourself in these shoes. And a missing girl who you believe was the one who screamed up at the homestead has possessed your grandson, and you're asking her questions, and the, one of the first things you ask is, did you run away? And she says yes, and you say how many times? Why does that matter? Randy is a very poor story writer, I got to tell you. Why does it matter how many times did, that she ran away? He then, if you hear how she, he answers this, this is key. He says, she then goes on to tell me she told me how many times. Because he doesn't know the answer. He doesn't know how many times she's run away. And that's a fact-checkable thing, correct? So he doesn't know the answer. So he just goes, ah, she told me how many times. Well, you know what? She gave you every other answer. And she gave you a number there, according to you, Randy. Why wouldn't you give us the number? It's because he doesn't know, and he wants his tape to be valid, I'm guessing, um, and he wants his BS to be believed. And But I just, I thought, what a horrible story writer you are, Randy, to even, why would you ask how many times she ran away? It makes no sense. If you could make sense of that, please let me know. Okay, I'm going to let you uh, continue on with this. Um, he's going he's gonna to talk about um, the posters. So one second, you can hear from here. Uh, a poster I saw you said that you used different names and aliases when you ran away. I said, what were they? He said both names, two names, and they were right on the poster. Again, he says, Randy then, Randy asks about, he says, a poster I saw that you used different aliases when you ran away. I've never seen a poster that says, hey, Kim runs away constantly, and these are her two aliases. If you guys have a poster like that, I'd love to see it. The only poster I've seen with more than, more than one name doesn't say, hey, she runs away a whole bunch. So he must have seen some magic poster that I haven't seen. He then goes on to say she told me two last names instead of actually saying the last names. Now, I had to make a couple phone calls on that because I thought that was very key because I'm sure that he obviously knew um, the two last names from the poster or maybe he couldn't remember. So there's two theories here. One, he just couldn't remember the last names by the time he made the tapes. And that, that could be very well true. Same with the runaway thing. He just maybe may not have remembered the number. You know, but if you didn't remember the number, why would you even ask, you know, why wouldn't you, why would you even tell the tape that you asked those questions? I don't know. But anyways, 
I had a psychologist tell me that he feels a parental emotion over her and is angered at the fact that his last name isn't hers. Now that's a mess. That's a, that's a messed up brain. But, um, the psychologist who I let listen to these tapes said there's a real parental emotion here where he can't say her name. He can't say what happened to her and he can't say her last name either. Um, so that's a weird whole, you know, mind screw path to go down. You know, that he just doesn't remember. He then goes on to say to his grandson, you were last seen getting into a vehicle with two people. She says, no, I was picked up by one man. He tricked me into getting into his car. Randy then asks, did you know him? Here, Randy then fumbles on his words. Here he goes. I'll let you listen to this. Do you know him? No answer. Or no, she said she didn't know him. Her proper response. It's almost as if, if it was better for the story, um, for him to say that, that, she said she didn't know him because then that brings the guilt off him and the onus off him, right? So it's almost better for the story for him to say, no, she didn't know him. So it's like he corrects himself there. He then goes on to ask, do you know where he took you? And she says, yes, Robinson Road. Randy then goes on answering another invisible question saying, I didn't think to ask how she knew she was on Robinson Road. And of course, answering invisible questions indicates lies. I'm going to let you listen to this, this part um, it's disturbing. I mean, as if the whole tape isn't disturbing, but it's tough. So if you're listening to this with any little ones, ah, put their earmuffs on. Is this, I, I, this part really disturbed me. It's just a, such a messed up addition to this story. So <clears throat> I said, can you see me? She said, yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Why can't I see and hear you? I don't know. Meantime, this young, younger boy that's there that I'm referring to that was with me, he's seeing all this in his head and he can see her standing in my room where I don't see her. So I said, is she here in this room, standing in this room? He said, yes. I said, you can see her, point to her. So he goes over across the room and points at somebody standing there and it was very realistic like it didn't look like he was faking so I said can you ask her to touch me so she touched me on the knee area oh I hate that part Uh, Randy then goes on to say that he asked her why she came to him in particular and this was the answer he gave. He said, she, saw, she told me she saw me in Upham. I hunt there a lot. She said, I drove by her and an older fellow by the cemetery. She said, hi, and I said, hi, back. He says here specifically that she was standing sideways, which is an odd descriptor, indicating that the seeing her on the road part may have been the truth because you don't use strange descriptors like that unless you can clearly recall that memory. Now, whether it was standing on that road that day or whether it was a different road or whether it was the night that he kidnapped her, I don't know. But he saying that she was standing sideways on the road is an indicator that he's recalling a memory. He says, I couldn't see the boy's face. He was a couple of years, years older than her. And he goes on to say that she seemed happy. However, if you didn't see the boy's face, how would you know his age? Come on, Randy. Now, here's the part where this whole thing falls apart. He tells the story. That, and, he re, and he recalls it, saying that she seemed happy. I remember that I, you know, I couldn't see the boy's face. Um, I, she was standing sideways. I mean, he recalls that incredibly well. 
then why didn't he recognize her on the poster? Why didn't he know who she was? If he had seen her and recalls this memory of her standing on the road and, you know, she's explaining it and he's saying, you know, I couldn't see the boy's face. You know, she was standing sideways. He was a couple. She seemed happy. Like if you're recalling that whole event and that's why Kim's coming to you to possess your grandson to, you know, to help solve this case. Why didn't you recognize her on the poster? If you can clearly recall the position she was standing in and that she said hello, et cetera, et cetera. Come on. This isn't even, you know, close to well done. Jesus. Like, I don't know why Randy made these tapes. I don't know if we'll ever know why Randy made these tapes. But all these contradictory things and, 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 and um, indicators of lying and indicators of guilt. To me, this tape so far is just B friggin' S. It's just making me believe that Randy... 100% had something to do with the disappearance of Kim Amaro because he sends this BS crap to the Amaro family and expects them to believe it. Why? Why? Why send this tape at all? Because you're feeling super guilty? Okay, I'll buy that because the whole thing indicates guilt and lies. So I'll buy that. You make the tape because it's guilty, but why not tell some sort of the truth? All of these lies. The police could not have believed any of this bullcrap. But I'm hoping that the locations are the key and the locations are the... I don't care if the locations are the only truth to this whole thing. Because when we get to the location part of this tape, I'm hoping that you all put your thinking caps on. Because this is the only evidence we really have of where she may be. Randy then goes, up, goes on to say that he would take her upstairs from time to time and do you know what. Of course, the second time he can't um, say what he did to her, you know, indicating guilt. He says, how'd you keep her there? And she says, the pen. You know, you heard earlier the two brass bed thing. She, she calls it the pen. Here Randy goes on to say that she said that one day upstairs he was distracted and, and knew that Randy was up on the hill above. How? How did she know? She's being kept in a pen. How did she know that Randy was up there? I'll let Randy tell the rest of this little story. Uh, the day had her upstairs he got distracted doing something she knew I had already gone up and I was up on the hill up above so she got out the cabin door and as fast as she could move she tried running up the road towards me <clears throat> he come out in a very big rage of the camp slamming the door he had a stick in his hand and he chased her well, she had a pretty good head start, but she wasn't strong enough to, to outrun him. And she, as she slowed down and she was staggered because, I mean, she was weak. She was held, you know, for a long time, no exercise, no anything. So her strength was down, making her weak. And she turned and he was getting closer to her and closer. She panicked. She ran harder than that. And Anyway, next thing she turned and he's right behind her and she screamed as he swung that stick. Then it was over. 
My issue with that part of the story is if she knew you're up there and she's running towards you and she's booking it to try and get away from this guy, wouldn't she be yelling help to get your attention? How, was she was just going to silently run to you? She knows this guy's chasing her. Was she just going to creep up on you, Randy, was she? Was she just going to sneak up on that tree stand and hope that you don't shoot her because you're out there hunting for crying out loud? No, she would be screaming help. Again, indicating that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is BS. Um, and none of these stories that he's telling is true, and I'm frankly insulted that he would think anyone would believe this crap. The next part um, I'm going to play for you is another disturbing part. It's the, um, if you're listening to it with teenagers or, I, I don't know, just put the earmuffs on. And if, you know, maybe it's too much for you to hear. Um, it was almost too much for me to hear. So I'm going to um, play this part now. I know this is deeply moving. It, it bothered me. It bothered me deeply. And through all this time, I've grown very fond of your daughter. I'm, I would have been very pleased if she had a, been my sister or my own daughter, because I think she's a very special person. I mean that from the heart. Are you friggin' kidding me? You would be pleased if she was your own daughter and you mean that from the heart because you've grown fond of her? Why? Why have you grown fond of her, Randy? Because she screamed once in a field that you didn't do anything about, and then apparently she possessed your grandson once? That's why you've grown fond with her? Be BS. BS. That's crap and you know it. And I'm so insulted that you think people are believing this crap. He then goes on to ask her um, where she was abducted from. And her answer, according to Randy, was by the big store with the trees near it. What is she, two? By the big store with the trees near it? Really? Of course she knew where she was abducted. So this was a stupid answer for Randy to make up. And if Randy abducted her, he knows exactly where she was abducted from. So two things here. One, either he's not saying the location where she was abducted because it shows that he knows and it makes him guilty and he knows that the police will start looking at him. Or two, he wasn't there when she was abducted. So he has no idea where she was abducted from. Those are two things to think about here. He then goes on to say that she uh, said that he hid me in the bushes nearby because he was afraid I, meaning Randy, would come because of the scream and he was waiting to kill me if I showed up. Okay, so she tells him that she got tossed in the bushes because the owner of the property was afraid Randy would, would hear the scream and show up. And then Randy goes on to say how heavily armed he was. So if, you know, the guy had attempted to kill him, he would have been the successor in the fight. Randy would have been the successor in the fight. Yet he did nothing um, for that scream. So why didn't he show up if the scream was so damn disturbing? Well, probably because it's BS, everybody. You can tell I'm really angry. I'm sorry. I'm just, the more I listen to this tape and the more I find the lies, I've got so many underlines of lie, 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 lie. It's just so frustrating that he thought anyone was going to believe this. I'm just hoping that the truth to this tape is those locations. I could go through with you a bajillion different discrepancies in the story about how he said that um, Randy thinks the owner of the homestead saw him that day but hid low so that Randy wouldn't see him. Well, how would you say, I think he saw me. Oh, did you see him at all? No, I didn't see him at all whatsoever. Well, how did you think he saw you, Randy? Why did you think he saw you? Like, come on. He, he, he has a lot of that in the tapes of just, you know, little BS snippets like that um, that aren't really necessary to tell. Um, and, um, make zero sense, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to read to you now what he said about where she was buried because it's not in the location, um, that she was kept. And this is something that I wasn't aware of before. Um, he says, you go about a mile up the road past the camp 
over the top of the hill. You've got one road with a no trespassing sign on it. It takes you down. You can see Pipeline Road from there, all on the left side of that road. Further up, you'll come to another road on the same side on the left, and there's a cabin that is no longer there partway between the first and the second road. There's a bigger road on the right. Park across from that bigger road. There's a little inaudible here. I think he says old logs, maybe. He says, pull in. Drive a small way, and you'll see a clearing. There's apple trees there, and that's where the cabin was. He then says that she was buried two feet or so from the front porch of that cabin. So keep that location in mind. Replay it in your head. Share it with your friends um, because it's apparently a completely different property than where we were looking for her. We were where he claims to have, um, where he claims that she was kept, but I don't think... I don't know if we were ever on this property here. I don't think that we were. We did find, we did go for quite a walk and did find like an, a burnt out cabin. Um, but I didn't know what I was looking for there. And Ed had mentioned to me before that he really, you know, was convinced that there was this second location and that he wanted the police to, to dig in this second location. However, the dig was shut down before that could happen. He then goes on to say that he knew the cabin once before. He says, knowing I'd seen this cabin once before before, and knowing that she was describing it, one of my brothers that hunted across the road, I was in it once. My brother used to hang around the owner's daughter. Kind of weird tidbit there. Um, it's also a kind of a truth tidbit where you're, um, he's saying that she used to hang around the owner's daughter. That's not necessary for the story. It's not necessary to explain the story. It's just a recalled memory. Uh, he says, my brother, you know, kind of is a roaming hunter, and he's not. He's a sit hunter, and he got lost. They got separated. Here he takes a big chunk of time over explaining where he got lost. He says he shot at some deer. His brother came to look for him. They came out at the clearing, and you could see the cabin. He says, my brother explained the ownership of the cabin. We went in. And he then says, I thought this was not the right thing to do, going in someone else's cabin, as if he's absolving himself of this crime, as if the police are going to give a crap that he went into this cabin. He's absolving himself of this B&E that he and his brother did going in this cabin. Um, he, he, he goes on and on saying how unhappy he was about going in this cabin. And then he talks about the trees being really unique. So I want to know what you make of the tape. There has been some members of, the, you know, Ed Amaro has amassed this, the Amaro family has amassed this this great following of people that all have great big brains and have something different to bring to the table. Um, and, you know, so they have listened to the, to the tape. But I want to know your opinion because I, I'll, I'll give you mine flat out. My opinion is, is that 99% of this is BS. It's 99% of it is all lies. So I don't know that I don't blame the police um, for thinking that he's just a whack job and he doesn't know where she is. However, I think that the way that he describes the two locations of where they are, he, he knows those locations um, and he knows them well. Um, you know, saying you go up a hundred yards and then there's a road and then there's a hill and then you turn left and blah, blah, blah. He knows those two locations. Um, so, did he just make it up to, so that they would dig in the wrong spot? See, you got to put yourself in the mind of a madman, which is very difficult to do. There, there was no heat on Randy um, at the time that he gave these tapes. No one was looking at him as the committer of this crime. So there was no reason for him to backpedal, backpedal, backpedal and take the shade off of him because there was no shade on him. So the tapes would make sense to me if there was shade on him and if the cops were looking at him and they were coming down on him he makes this all of a sudden anonymous tape and and sends it away in hopes um you know to take the onus off him 
so I, so that's not a reason to make the tape. Do you make the tape just to send them on the wrong path? Maybe, maybe she's nowhere near up there, but maybe he knows where she is. So he was throwing shade on a different location, but you know what? If you sat and thought about it for two minutes at that time, no one but the Amaro family was looking for Kim. The police weren't actively looking for her. So why send the tape at all if you're trying to throw shade off yourself? There was no shade. So the only thing that I can come up with on this side of the Finding Kim Amaro camp is guilt. Is that he did something horrible that he feels horrible about. And so this is his way of absolving himself from the crime, leading them to her burial spot. Um, it absolves him of the crime. Now, he says that he's wrote numerous letters, and we all know about the letter way back when that the police secretary typed up and then threw out. Um, I haven't seen a copy of any of these letters. I was also told that at the homestead, he had left a letter there underneath some rocks near the burnt-out homestead that he speaks about. Um, so he's, he's writing these letters, and he's trying to come in contact with them. He's writing letters to CTV. That's a fame-seeky kind of path to take, that he's you know seeking a little bit of fame. But however... If it turns out to be nothing, then you're not really seeking the fame that you're looking for. So that makes me wonder why, why he made these tapes to begin with. I, I, I don't understand it unless he's trying to get her found to get this chapter of his life over with. And maybe that's it. Or maybe he had nothing to do with it at all, but he knows who did it. Um, and he's always felt guilty about doing nothing or he's being threatened um, to not say anything. So this was his little way. These letters in this tape are his little way of being able to tell the story um, without getting in, in trouble from whoever, maybe his brothers or, or whoever is holding this over him, telling him not to talk. I feel that this tape is more an, an absolving for him, absolving him of, of what he knows, getting it off his chest, telling the right people. Um, you know, you think about it, if you, if you know a secret and you know what somebody did was horrible, I'll just use an example. Your best friend cheats on you. This is not even close to being as bad as murder, but I'm saying your, 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 your best friend cheats on her husband and you know it and you really like her husband. He's a really good guy and she just keeps cheating and cheating and you're sitting on the secret. Wouldn't you love to send an anonymous note, an anonymous letter saying, hey, you know, She's cheating on you and, and get away with it. And then that way it absolves you from knowing the secret. It takes you off, it takes it off your chest and puts it on someone else. And you've done the right thing so you can feel better about yourself. That's the only real reason I can come up with why he would create these tapes. Um, especially because no one was looking at him ever. No one was ever, no one was ever going to look at Randy um, f for this crime unless he had, had made these tapes and written these letters. No one was ever looking at him for it. So... Um, I'm going to leave you with this. I hope that you will listen to the location uh, 10 times more. Um, of course, we're going to go up looking. Um, if you have anything to add at all, you know, don't forget about Craig. Um, Finding Kim Amaro um, is grateful for uh, Craig and for what he's doing, creating this into a national documentary. So don't forget about um, him if you go on the website and click leave an anonymous tip. If you have one, please do so. Um, you can always get in touch with me direct on Facebook at Finding Kim Amaro or on the website or at jamie at live.ca, J-A-Y-M-E-E -E at live.ca. Um, it's, uh, it, it takes a village, I guess, and I, I'm very interested to hear all of your inputs. I hope that some of you have a fresh take on it, and I hope that some of you um, 
have something new to add to this story. Um, we're working with lawyers to get the entire thing released. Um, I have put a quite a large snippet up on the website, findingkimamero.com. Um, so if you, know, you want to hear the parts that I read, you can. Anything that I have mentioned or said or that you've heard is going to be up live on the website because um, there are some names mentioned in there and we're not, we're not certain um, what we can and can't release and what we can and can't talk about. And we don't want to get ourselves in any more trouble than we're already in for doing this. So um, we're just waiting to hear back from, from the lawyers and hopefully um, we'll have the rest of the tapes for you to listen to or we'll get the go ahead to release it in a few times. But thank you so much for